Thank you for listening to this audio message from Christ Fellowship Leesville. We exist to make disciples for the glory of Jesus. We pray God uses this message to help you grow in your walk with Christ. To learn more about Christ Fellowship, please visit us online at ChristFellowshipNC.org. So Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 9. Let me read our passage for us, and then we will take a brief moment to ask for the Lord's help as we come before the truth of his word, just as we do every week. Hebrews uh, chapter 13, beginning in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Let's pray together. Father, once more we just pause to ask for your help. We're so thankful for your grace and mercy that brought us here to this place to participate in these gifts of grace to us, to uh, sing together, to pray together, to read the truth of your word together, and now just to slow down and to meditate over and hear your word proclaimed over us this morning. What, What a privilege it is. And we know that all of these good things have been purchased for us by the blood of Jesus on the cross. And so we are thankful for the finished work of Christ that stands in our place, for your spirit that you have sent to dwell in us. And so, Father, we pray that by the power of your spirit, through the truth of your word, you would reveal the glories of Christ to us this morning, that we would see that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that we would rest in that this morning. And yet, Father, at the same time, I pray that you would Uh, uh, Father, just give us shining examples of those who have gone before us, those who have led well and taught well and and finished well, that we might see their example and, and walk in their path and imitate their faith. So, Father, I pray that these words this morning would bring conviction to our hearts, that it would bring encouragement to us to remain steadfast and to not throw away our confidence that we have in Christ. So, Father, we pray that you would use your word this morning to sustain your people for the glory of your name. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, filters are an important part of our lives, right? We have all kinds of filters that we need in our life. Uh, Hopefully, we all have uh, air filters on our air conditioning or heating systems in our homes, right? It filters out all the dirt that could get gunked into the coils and cause your system not to work well. Your car has a cabin air filter that keeps the dirt out of the car. It has an oil filter that keeps dirt and contaminants out of the uh, oil that goes through the engine so it protects the engine. We have all of this. Even, even our brains were created by God to have a sort of natural filter that kind of allows us to, vary, uh, to filter out various sounds or sights so that we can focus because we would be overrun by stimuli if that wasn't the case. In fact, 
there's uh, an incredible video you can find on YouTube that was, now this was done long before YouTube, but you can find it on YouTube. And there was an experiment to prove this very thing. You may have seen it before. Um, if not, I'm going to ruin it for you this morning, but nevertheless. So there are three people in white shirts and three people in black shirts passing a basketball to each other. So three people in white shirts passing one basketball, three people in black shirts passing another basketball. And your challenge, the point of the experiment is to see if you can count how many times the people in white shirts pass the basketball to each other. So you lock in, right? You're watching every moment of the people in white shirts passing the basketball, right? You don't want to miss a beat. You are paying close attention to every movement of the basketball, exchanging hands from one person to the other. You count every single pass. And then after about 15 or 20 seconds, the video comes to an end and it asks you, how many times did the people wearing white shirts pass the basketball? And hopefully you've counted well and you feel really proud of yourself and your supreme ability to pay attention. And you get the right number and you feel so amazed at yourself. And then the next question is, did you see the gorilla? And most people didn't see the gorilla. And it shows you the video again. And sure enough, while all this movement's happening, literally a person in a gorilla costume walks across the room, stops in the middle, pounds their chest, and then exits left. And you didn't see it at all. Now, I've ruined it for you, but you can do it with people who are not here this morning, right? Your friends or family, have them watch it and just watch. And now some people see it, most people don't. But here's the point, your brain just filters it out because you're so locked in, right? You're so locked in to seeing the people in white shirts pa uh, passing the basketball, you don't even notice a literal person dressed up in a gorilla costume walking across the room. Now, that's a, a gift of God in some way that we can filter things out, right? It can be dangerous, but it can also be really helpful when you need to pay attention to something, when you need to lock into something. It's essential so that we're not overwhelmed by all the visual and auditory stimuli that would overrun our brains otherwise, and we wouldn't be able to pay attention to anything. But what that means is that if we're not looking for the right things, we're not going to see or hear what we need to see or hear that we have to be looking for the right things. We need to know how we filter out the wrong things and stare at the right things. You see, in the same way, we need to develop spiritual filters so that we can discern truth from error, so that we can pay attention to what is true and filter out what is false. If we're going to endure to the end, as all of Hebrews has been calling on us to do, to endure to the end, to sustain our confidence to the last day, to not throw away our confidence in Christ. If we're going to be able to do that, then we need to know what teaching to filter out as false and then reject it. And we need to know what teaching to pay attention to and to lock our hearts onto, our eyes and our ears onto, so that these false teachings don't have influence in our lives. And so we have to be sure we're looking at the right things. And look, the day and age in which we live, there are literally thousands of people 
that want to have influence over your life, right? Thousands of voices of authority or, right, what do they call Social media what? Influencers, right? They want to influence you. There are thousands of them out there vying for your attention. In fact, there are probably dozens, if not hundreds, of influential voices you can find to agree with whatever you want to believe. And that's dangerous. And it's especially dangerous because God himself warned us of this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. This is what Paul says to Timothy. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Do you hear that? They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, right? You can find whoever you want to follow on social media. You can curate your podcast list, right, to narrow it down just to find the exact people you want to listen to. And if those people are not teaching you truth, you are going to wander off into myths. That's the warning that Paul gave us, that God gave us through Paul. So, so therefore, what do we need to do to decide what voices, what teaching, what authority, what influences we should allow into our lives, into our walk with Christ? What filters should we use? What should we pay attention to? And I know this feels like a modern problem, right? It's, it's a problem because we live in the day of the internet. Well, the reality is there have always been people vying for attention. There have always been people who want to have authority over you, who want you to pay attention to them. It was a problem for these first century Jewish believers, these Hebrews to whom this letter was written. There were these false teachers calling out to them, wanting them to follow after them. And so here's the author of Hebrews saying to them, let me give you some filters to be sure you're listening to the right voices. Here's what you need to do to be sure you are latching yourself onto truth and not following false teaching. Here are the filters you need to have to, to take out the noise and focus on what really matters, the truth of God himself. And so here are the three filters, the three commands that the author of Hebrews gives us. One per verse, verse 7, verse 8, verse 9. Number one, follow the proven leaders. Follow the proven leaders. Number two, stand on the unchanging Savior. Stand on the unchanging Savior. And number three, resist the deceptive teachers. Resist the deceptive teachers. So let's just start right there in verse 7. Follow the proven leaders. Follow the proven leaders. Now, I know we all as children have played the game, follow the leader, right? And in the game, follow the leader, just whoever's up front, you do what they do, right? That's not what this is saying, right? You just don't follow somebody because they have a voice of authority or because they are up front. No, this is, this is more than that, right? Verse 7 is calling us to follow those who have proven themselves over time, and verse 7 gives us specifically what kind of leaders the author of Hebrews is talking about. Leaders are those who spoke 
to you the word of God. So this is talking about those who are teaching the truth of God's word in some capacity or context for, for, the, for the Hebrew believers for this early church. This was likely referring to the founding elders of their church that are mentioned back in chapter 2. Uh, the author of Hebrews says there in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, past tense. We must, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation, it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. It was passed on by these founding elders, by these teachers here in this early church. And it is saying to us, it is saying to these Hebrew believers to look to those, those men, those men who taught them the word of God, to remember them, but then what does it say in that second half of verse 7? It says, consider the outcome of their way of life. Consider the outcome of their way of life. And then having done that, imitate their faith. But before we seek to imitate their faith, we're being called to consider their life. Now, what does it mean when it says consider the outcome of their life, right? That word can also be translated result, the result of their life. It seems that this word outcome or result is mainly used to refer to someone who has finished their life. This is referring to those who are not with us anymore, those who have passed away, who are now in the presence of Jesus Christ forevermore. They have lived their life. The jury's not out anymore on them, right? They have finished well. Like it's saying, look at them. Consider the totality of their life. Consider it. Did they live faithfully? Did they finish well? And if they did, imitate their faith. Now, this is fascinating to me because of the theme of this entire book. We've looked at it week after week after week. has been about enduring together, about this call to endurance, that what matters is not just the individual moments of our life. Yes, that matters, but ultimately what matters is are we going to finish well? Are we going to endure to the end, right? That's been the call throughout the book of Hebrews. So just to reference a few spots from earlier in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. To the end. Or Hebrews chapter 6 verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Or Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So without wavering. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive 
what is promised. And then, of course, we go into chapter 11, and it's a chapter full of examples of faithful men and women who finished well, who maintained and sustained their faith to the very end. They endured in the face of adversity and hardship and persecution. It is those people that the author of Hebrews is saying, we have to look to people who have finished their course who have gone through the hardships of life, who have faced tragedy and suffering and conflict and struggles. And what is the testimony of the totality of their life? And if they finished well, they are worthy to be imitated. You see, this isn't about, this isn't about what we are tempted to do in our modern world. And I've already talked about the internet, but it's so prevalent This isn't about looking at snippets of someone's life on social media. It's not about the 30-second clip. It's not about the highlight reel of their lives. You see, we are are far too influenced by the fleeting life etched in stone. That's what the author of Hebrews is calling us to look at this morning. You see, it, it feels odd in some ways, I think, right? We're, our, I think the temptation is to say, aren't we supposed to look to Christ? Yes, of course we are to look to Christ. But God has gifted us with men and women who have faithfully gone before us and who have finished their race well. And he says to us, look at their lives. How did they endure to the end? What sustained them? What kept them? Look at that. Ask those questions and imitate their faith. I mean, this is so important. It's so important in our cultural moment where it literally feels like every other week there's news that comes out about some evangelical leader who has disqualified themselves from ministry because of some kind of authoritarian abuse or an adulterous affair or some other moral failure. And, and they've, or many others have buckled under cultural pressure and they've caved in on Biblical truths like the exclusivity of salvation through Jesus Christ or they've, they've caved in on LGBTQ issues, questions of sexuality and marriage and genders and they begin to seek the applause of the world and they buckle and they give in and they disqualify themselves from being a pastor of a faithful and healthy church. I've seen these things happen over the past years to men I would have never thought this could happen to. Men who have written solid books that I would recommend you to read and then they turn their backs on Jesus and say, I'm not following him anymore. You see, they did not hold their confession firm without wavering. They did not hold their original confidence firm to the end. They threw away their confidence and the final testimony and outcome of their lives is that they are not men that are to be followed. Now, I want to be really clear about something here. I am not saying that we don't leave room for repentance and restoration. No, we must leave room for that. Christ has redeemed you. He has redeemed me. He can redeem anyone. He can restore anyone, right, that seeks repentance and returns to him and repents of their sin, right? There there are many who may fail, some who may fail in catastrophic ways, but who repent, and who God restores, and we can still learn from their faithful testimony. 
right? We don't reject them because they messed up, right? No, no, there, there can be, it may mean that they have disqualified themselves from ministry because of some reason, but it does not mean that we cannot learn from their lives and see that they, that they learn from their mistakes, that God uh, granted them repentance. And then how did they recover from that? How did they walk faithfully after that, right? We can look at that. I'm not saying there's no failure in the middle of life. I'm saying, how did they finish their life? What is the outcome? <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> what is the outcome of their life? What is the result of it? That is what we're being called to evaluate. That is what we are being called to consider. So this is not a call to only follow perfect people who never messed up. No, it's a call to follow those who had imperfections, showed clear evidence of repentance and faithfulness, and who finished their race well. We need this call, brothers and sisters. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't follow any living teacher who seems to be faithful because we're just not sure how it's going to turn out, right? That would be the temptation to say, I've seen too many guys mess up, turn their backs on Jesus, walk away from the church, uh, dive into unrepentant sin. Therefore, I'm going to be suspicious of every single person who wants to teach any truth of God. I'm not going to follow anyone because too many people have let me down, right? Well, no, that's, that's the unhealthy, sinful extreme to go to. And we know that because just a few verses later in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, the author of Hebrews, uh, speak, God speaking to the author of Hebrews says to us, obey your leaders, your current living leaders. So we're not to have this cynical refusal to follow people that God places in front of us. So, so yes, we should follow living examples. But I do believe this is saying to us, there's a special place, a special role for paying attention to the lives of those who have left behind a faithful legacy. There's a particular role that that ought to play in our lives. To look at those who have finished their race well. And then as we evaluate their lives, we seek to imitate their faith that resulted in that faithful endurance to the end. Right, this word for imitate in the original language is where we get the word mimic or that old school mimeograph machines. You remember those? Many, many of you probably don't remember those, right? But it's, it's this copying, this like living the way they live, right? We are to mimic their lives. We are to follow them. We are to imitate them. So, so we look at their lives and we ask questions like I said earlier. We say, what sustained them? What kept them? What in their lives helped them come to repentance when they sinned? What got them through difficult days? How did they remain faithful in the middle of suffering? How did they interact with God's word? What were their spiritual disciplines like? What was their habit of prayer like? Right? We ask all these questions and we need to seek answers to them and then seek to live out the way they lived. Now there are two practical ways you can do this. One, I believe... We should find faithful heroes among people we personally know. Those people that God has placed in our lives who have been, uh, who have borne out faithful, a faithful testimony of a life well lived, right? That may have been a, a pastor you had when you were younger who is no longer with us. It may have been 
a, a, a grandparent, it may have been a parent, it may have been a mentor, who, whoever that person is who faithfully taught you God's word and who finished their lives well faithfully, you should find someone, if you didn't know them well enough to know the habits of their life, talk to someone else who did and ask, what is it that sustained them through these difficult days? What was the habit of their life like? How did they finish well? How did they finish so faithfully? Right? There is powerful in asking those questions about people that you knew personally. For the Hebrew believers, this was personal. This was leaders that walked among them, that the author of Hebrews is calling them to remember and to consider the outcome, the result of a life well lived. But having said that, I know that for some of you, maybe even for many of you, you, you didn't grow up in the church. You weren't around people like that. You can't think of anyone who you know who lived their life faithfully to the, to the very end. And so this is where the role, I think, of, of Christian biography comes into play. And this would be true of everyone, by the way, not just those who maybe have a struggle to find someone in their life that they knew personally that they could follow. But this is a, this is a privilege for all of us. We live in a day where there is easy access to all kinds of Christian biographies of faithful men and women who finished their race well. And one of the most powerful things you can do is to grab one of those biographies and read about the lives of these men and women, and it will change you. It is one way that we can obey verse 7. We can read about the hardships they endured, about the highs and the lows, about the sufferings and the tragedies and how in the midst of all of it, they remained faithful and kept their eyes on Jesus. So I would encourage all of you to make it a goal in the coming year to read at least one biography of a faithful man or woman of God who has passed away, whose testimony of the testimony of their life is complete they finished well, read. Read about their lives. And if you want a recommendation, email me, call me, talk to me. I would be happy to send you a few recommendations of Christian biographies to read about these faithful men and women. But ultimately, this is also a challenge to each of us. There will come a day, right? The Bible is clear about this. Unless Jesus returns... Jesus is going to return, unless he returns before you die. There will come a day where each of us will breathe our last breath. What will be the result of your life? Will it be a life worth imitating? That's the challenge also being presented to us. Are we going to leave a legacy behind for our brothers and sisters in Christ to walk in? Are we going to leave a legacy behind for our children and our grandchildren, for the children we've mentored in this church, that we've taught in this church? Are we going to leave behind a legacy so that they can look at our life, consider our lives, and look at the result of our faith? And we, will we be men and women who are worthy to be imitated? That ought to be the goal of everyone who follows Jesus Christ. To finish well, to have a life that's worthy to be followed. Now, the good news is that even though our leaders and teachers, all of those lives will one day come to an end, the truth that they taught us remains the same because Jesus is unchanging. That's the really good news. 
And so that brings us to the second filter we need to have to, to, to filter out false teaching is we must stand on the unchanging Savior. Stand on the unchanging Savior. Look there at verse 8. <clears throat> Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, as you read through this passage, it can feel like verse 8 just kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, what in the world does this have to do with remembering your leaders and with not, uh, not being led away by diverse and strange teachings? It just feels like a, a powerful statement of truth, but it just kind of comes out of left field. But that's not the case. This is actually intimately connected with what's happening in verse 7 and what's happening in verse 9, right? Verse 7 is saying, remember your leaders uh, consider the outcome of their faith and, and, and uh, the, of their life and imitate their faith. Verse 9 is talking about not being led away by diverse and strange teachings. In the middle of all that, we have the rock-solid stability of Jesus Christ, who is the unchanging one, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. In other words, the Savior who sustained these faithful men and women who have gone before us is the same Savior that can sustain you and I today. He has not changed, right? That's why we can look to these men and women, see how they faithfully follow Christ, and because Jesus doesn't change, we know that we can walk in their footsteps and he will be faithful in the same way he was to them. He is the consistent, unchanging Savior who is always the same. We don't have to look back with question marks and wonder, man, is the person of Jesus Christ and what he taught, is it still relevant today? Does it still matter today? Is what Jesus said then still true now? Maybe Jesus has changed his mind. Maybe what he said 2,000 years ago doesn't apply anymore today. No, this says he's the unchanging one. He is the unchanging one. It's why Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. If you build your life on the sure and steadfast rock of the truth of the words of Jesus Christ, if you build your life on the unchanging, steadfast rock of the person of Jesus Christ, you can withstand the waves and the battering of life, and you will remain stable and steadfast because his words have not changed, and he has not changed. He is faithful today just as he always has been. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's why at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he says that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. And he says one of the ways we do that is by teaching them to observe all that he commanded. We're able to make disciples of all nations today, 2,000 years after Jesus walked on this earth. We are still able to make disciples today, teaching the very same things Jesus taught them because he is the unchanging one. The methodology hasn't, the truth hasn't changed. The gospel hasn't changed. It's the same good news that it always has been. Therefore, we can build our lives. We can build our mission. We can build our person on the unchanging Savior. And it means, therefore, that when we remember our leaders and those who spoke the word of God to us, who proclaimed the good news to us, 
we can remember that the same gospel they proclaimed is the gospel we can proclaim today. That it has not changed. We have no right to change the truth of the gospel because the Savior it exalts is the same forever. Jesus says in John's gospel, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Therefore, we still today can invite people into his loving and gentle arms. He still says to us today, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and he will still give them rest who come to him and he will embrace them in his arms. We can walk in the steps of the faithful who believe Romans 1.16 when Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel has not changed. It is the same gospel that is proclaimed in Hebrews that was preached 2,000 years ago that we are preaching today. It is the same gospel that the founders of Leesville Baptist Church on this corner when it was formed 149 years ago that we've now stepped into that legacy in history as this merger has come together. Christ Fellowship Leesville is here and here we are. It is the same gospel because it is the same Savior and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And Lord willing, this church will continue to proclaim that gospel. He is the unchanging one, right? Hebrews has told us this from the very beginning. Hebrews chapter 1 told us that long ago God spoke to the fathers of the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. This whole universe was created through Christ and for Christ. He is the heir of all things. He upholds it by the word of his power. And he took on flesh and he dwelt among us and he lived a righteous life in our place so that all who trust in him can have his righteous life given to them so that we are judged by the life of Christ and not by our sinful, wicked, rebellious lives. Right? He died on the cross and laid down his life and took the wrath of God on himself that you and I deserve. He took it on himself so that all who trust in him could be forgiven and pardoned and redeemed by the blood of his cross. And he was raised from the dead so that we one day with him could be resurrected in our glorified bodies to dwell forever with him in the new heavens and the new earth. You see, that is just as true today as it was the day Jesus walked out of the tomb. He is the same. And it will be true 20 million trillion years from now when we are with him in the new heavens and the new earth, rejoicing in what he did to redeem us. He is the same and will forever be our all-sufficient Savior. Therefore, we don't need to go looking somewhere else. We don't need to go seeking for something else, right? What more could we ask for? And we have the testimony of faithful men and women who were sustained by this unchanging Savior to their last breath. 
and we can walk in their steps because he was faithful to them and he'll be faithful to us. Therefore, therefore, we must finally, we must resist false teachers and deceptive teaching. This is the third filter. We must resist deceptive teachers. Look there in verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. That word led away is, can also be translated swept away like a river curtain just coming through. Do not be swept away by false teaching, right? It's saying stand firm on the unchanging Savior. Don't allow yourself to be caught up in the rapids and be swept away and moved away from the Christ who's staying here and remaining here, this unchanging truth. Don't be taken downstream from that. Don't be led away by these uh, diverse and strange teachings. In fact, I think the, 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 the plurality of the word teaching is very intentional. These diverse and strange teachings, meaning there's multiple strange teachings. There's an unending list of false teaching that, can, that we can get caught up in. There's an unending list of diverse and strange teachings that can sweep us away. And I just want to take a moment to clarify what, when this says strange teachings, what it is we need to be on the lookout for. Because I think the temptation is to read this and it's strange, right? And so we think, well, we'll recognize it as strange. It'll look strange. And that's, that can be a dangerous way to think because I think we often think that false teachers walk around with name tags or with placards that say false teacher on the front of it, Right? It's not how it works. They're going to look like us. They're going to sound like us. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Right? False teachers don't look like ravenous wolves. They look like gentle sheep. Or Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. These will be deceptive, manipulative people who on the outside will look normal, engaging. They will have attractive personalities. They will be charismatic. They'll be people you would be tempted to follow. And they will secretly, in sheep's clothing, bring in destructive heresies. Look, this is why... There are mega churches filled to the brim who are pastored by false teachers. Now, I am not saying that every mega church has a false teacher. That is categorically not true. But I am saying that it is heartbreaking to know 
that there are false teachers who can fill stadiums. They're proclaiming a false gospel. They're proclaiming the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. And there's all kinds of, yes, ultimately strange teachings. But it's strange because it's outside of the teachings of Jesus Christ. But to the sinful, fallen human mind, it sounds and feels really attractive. And so people are all caught up in it. Now, we need to be wary of this. We need to be aware of this. We need to be warned of this. And the author of Hebrews goes on to explain what he means by strange teaching there in the second half of verse 9. He says, It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Now, what in the world is he talking about, right? Not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Well, remember, as we've talked about throughout this letter, that this was written to a largely Jewish audience who had become Christians. And so they were coming out of their uh, 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 Jewish traditions, right? And, and out of the Old Testament law, they had all kinds of dietary requirements and ceremonial things they were supposed to walk through. And so I think that this concept of, of foods is just kind of a fill-in for these external acts of obedience that we do that the first century Jews uh, did, that, that humans today do, that these external acts of ceremonial obedience that we think earn our salvation, that we think somehow earn us favor with God. And he's saying, look, that they, they devoted themselves to these things, but it did not benefit them. We are not strengthened by simple external acts of obedience. We are strengthened by grace. We are strengthened by simply resting in the truth of the gospel. That you were born in sin. That by nature we are all enemies of God. And we have a sin nature and there is nothing that you or I can do in our own power to solve that problem. And we acknowledge that. And then we just rest in the grace of Jesus Christ. Who came even while we were his enemies. He willingly took on flesh and came, and as we talked about, dwelt among us and laid down his life for those who were his enemies. And through the power of the cross, God sends his spirit to awaken his people to faith and to open our eyes to see the glories of Christ, to redeem us from darkness, to deliver us from the domain of darkness and transfer us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Right, And we, we are strengthened by just resting in what he has done. Not in what we think we can do. That's the distinction being drawn in verse 9. Let your heart be strengthened by grace, by what Christ has done. Not by works and thinking there's something you can do to earn your way to heaven. Don't be led away by the false teachers who tell you you have to do something in order to be saved, that you must do some good works, you must pile up some kind of good works in order to earn God's favor, in order to earn Jesus' favor. No, we simply rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we trust 
in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in the life he now lives at the right hand of God the Father. And when we rest in that grace, we are well equipped to fight the temptation of false teachers. And so I started by saying we have to know what we must focus on. And the answer is simply Jesus. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. We are strengthened by grace, which means we are strengthened by looking to him, by looking to his life, by looking to the good news of his gospel, by leaning on him, depending on him, by looking to the truth of his word, by reading it, by growing in it. This is how we protect ourselves from being led away from, uh, uh, by false teaching, by wolves and sheep's clothing. We simply rest in our all-sufficient Savior who is unchanging, and then, then we can look to the lives of those who have gone before us and we can see those who have finished their race and we can say you kept them I want to follow them Jesus help me see how you sustain them and how I can walk in their path and when we do those things the Lord is saying to us we will be ready and prepared to fight against false teaching so that we are not led astray so that we can endure together to the end Let's pray together. Father, I just want to begin by thanking you for your faithfulness. The reality is every person in this room is here this morning because of the influence of a faithful brother or sister in Christ. We are here because someone spoke the true words of the gospel to us. Whether a friend, a family member, a parent, a grandparent, whoever it is, that's why we are here this morning. And so, Father, we just want to thank you for the faithful men and women who have gone before us. Father, what a precious gift a life well lived is. And I pray that we would look to the lives of those who have gone before us and learn from them. And Father, we are thankful that you are the unchanging God. Jesus, we are thankful that you are the unchanging Savior. You are the same yesterday and today and forevermore. And so we can build our lives on you and on the truth of your word. We don't have to worry about it changing. We don't have to worry about it being swept out from under our feet. We know that it is a rock-solid foundation. It was a rock-solid foundation for those who went before us. It will be a foundation for us, and it will be for a foundation for the generations that come after us. Therefore, we, by your grace, continue to stand on it to this day. And so, Father, I pray that you would sustain us and protect us so that we will not be led away by strange and diverse teachings, but instead we will be strengthened by and rest in the grace and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May you make it so for our good and for your glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.